But turn to Acts chapter 2. I just want to read some verses from 42 to 47. But before I get there, I just want to share, it was very much on my heart. I did a tremendous amount of study during the lockdown period. And um, I caused a huge stir on Facebook, and on you know, social media when I talked about the end of the world. And um, I drew some fire. And I answered it with friendly fire. And I was told I'm not even saved. So, you know, it's amazing when you touch that doctrine, you see the demons arise. But um, very interesting. And it was just powerful to be able to go and study. And it's just different online preaching because you're not, you know, bouncing off of your responses and things like it. So it's just doof, 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 doof. But um, tremendous feedback. Our viewership really increased. A lot of people have come online. So... When I was meditating, I didn't want to do a hard, heavy teaching, and I couldn't anyway because I've only got limited time, but I just wanted to, in keeping with Pentecost, last Sunday we remembered and we were reminded of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place, and uh, there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind that filled the whole place where they were meeting. So God can fill a place. Amen. And uh, the beautiful thing about coming to the church right during our, the lockdown period, coming, putting on lights, switching on the computer, putting on the worship, still a presence here because this is a holy place because holy people meet here. Amen. And so what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came and rested upon each one. The symbolism of that is that the fire of God, the cloud of God that led the children of Israel in the wilderness, now where they had a presence with them, they had a presence in them as well as with them. The same fire that led and protected and the same pillar of cloud now was upon every single disciple. Amen. And God put the fire on them. God put the fire in them. Now every Christian becomes a sanctuary, the holy of holies, where the fire was. Every Christian now becomes a burning bush where people can have an encounter with God. So you're quite a phenomenal person, actually, because of the divinity that is inside of you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says, and they continued steadfastly, number one, in the apostles' doctrine. So in other words, they studied the Word. In fellowship and in breaking of bread, that's communion, and in prayer. There's four things, but you'll see there's other things now that marked a community who were full of the Holy Spirit. So... And I've done it myself as well. Very often we've looked at the fact that when the day of Pentecost came, they were filled. And the evidence we say is that they were speaking in other tongues. It is still true. And I'm not downplaying it, but I want to upplay some other things as well. And that is that when the Spirit comes into residence, you get a new love for the Word of God. Because the same Spirit that inspired the Word is now the Spirit who interprets the Word for you. Amen. And there's a new love for fellowship because now Jesus is in you and in you and in you and in you. And it makes our fellowship a quinonia fellowship, which is a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And which often takes place in that room over there around coffee on a Sunday. And then it gravitates towards the parking and then four o'clock I get home. And uh, so there's a fellowship in the breaking of bread. The thing that struck me when I was studying this is that here was this group of believers who could not understand it when Jesus was saying, I must suffer and die and I will rise again. They couldn't understand it. But now after the Spirit came, they're breaking bread with glad and sincere hearts because they suddenly got a revelation of the whole work of Jesus on the cross. And they realized that though invisible, He's present. 
though absent, he is near. And one of the ways that they experience the nearness of his presence is in the breaking of bread. It was echoing something that happened on the Emmaus Road where the two disciples were walking and Jesus walked with them. And it was only when they went into the house and it says, and he broke bread that the understanding opened. And then he disappeared. That word in the Greek means he just withdrew from their sight. But he wasn't gone. And so the disciples are realizing when we break bread in communion, Jesus is manifestly present. And so they were running around breaking bread with glad and sincere in, the, you know, in their hearts, in the homes together, in fellowship, and you know, the richness of the word dwelling inside of them. These are evidences of a spirit-filled church. Amen. Everybody said amen. And in prayers, in prayers. And the reason why I mentioned the online prayer meeting, 90 people praying on a Friday night for an hour. And you know they're praying because they're responding. You know, it comes in. Um, the first one I got J.D. to do, it was his idea. So, you know, you get pregnant with a vision, you give birth to it. So he did the first one, and I was shocked at the end. I looked, there was something like 380 WhatsApps. And I was going, like, who's WhatsApping me? And then I saw it was all the response on the online prayer meeting. Phenomenal. Prayer requests, testimonies have come in. People already begun to post testimonies. People were provided for from this church on online. People living around the country in South Africa, not even in the church. Absolutely amazing. And so a spiritful church is a praying church because the Holy Spirit is the great intercessor. He's always praying. Amen. He's praying inside of you, for you, through you. And these are marks of a church that's full of the Spirit. So it says, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. In other words, they became a generous church. And that's one of the things about ACF. This is a generous church. Everybody behind you, Mark, say generous. <laughs> it's a giving church. I was so blessed. You know that people in this church made sure that Bev and I were taken care of couple phoned us because they'd made a promise once before, actually sent me a WhatsApp, and they delivered curry chicken, and Bev got, uh, you know, curried prawn and chicken, you know, and uh, delivered to the house, and we were like, wow, this is, what a blessing, and just the care and the concern, you know, people coming around, dropping off stuff for us, and, and making sure financially that we were okay, and just a great blessing, and of course, between one another. It was absolutely amazing to see. What a generous church. What a giving church. And so these are signs that you are filled with the Holy Spirit and that He is present. And they all continue daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, that they eat meat with glad and sincere hearts. And what do you say, glad, happy? You know, one of the initial evidences of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is glad. You know, I was sad when they said to me, let's go to church. No, no, no. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of God. You know, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so of all people, we should be the happiest people on earth. Amen. The gladdest people on earth. And these are all evidences. And then it says, and they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Everybody say praising God. You see, people full of the Holy Spirit have got a different understanding to anyone else, and so part of their language is praise. And part of praise is thanksgiving. Amen? And so it's a praising church. It was very interesting, and I want to just chuck this in now very quickly, is that when we started, we used the opportunity to update the database, and so I divided the people up, and we were phoning to make sure that we had everyone's details, and 
and heads of department were phoning. And it was interesting, I got feedback from a few of the heads of department, and they phoned back, and I said, how are the people that you phoned? And they all said, you know what struck us is that everybody is amazingly positive. You know, okay, there were a few gripes, like I'm sick and tired of this, I just want to get together and have church. But that doesn't count, amen? But everybody else was going, everybody else was positive and just saying, God is good, God is good, we're going to make it, God is good. I found one young lady, a single mom, and she said, well, I was just being made redundant. She said, hey, but I'm not worried. She said, I have faith in God. I mean, it humbled me, you know, touched my heart. And so, so this morning, what I failed to do was basically, it's just to tell you how exceptionally proud I am of you as a church. I don't think there could be any greater encouragement for anybody in ministry than to see the fruit in the lives of the people that he's preaching to, to see the reality of the Word of God and that you've taken your stand on that Word. You know, there was not heavy pastoring and heavy shepherding going on. I mean, you were on your own, locked down, and you were there, but you continued. You know, I had to pop into Maureen Owen. She had permission to carry on as a health practitioner, and I had to pick up some stuff for somebody. And I went, and there was a couple there, elderly couple getting treatment, and she introduced me as her pastor. And uh, so he says, what do you think the new normal is going to be like? You know, and I just said, well, it's going to be like normal. So then he said to me, and uh, will you have a congregation left after this lockdown? I said, oh, yeah. there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And he said, no, because I was just thinking it would probably be like naughty school children, you know, like when they go on holiday, they don't do any work. When they come back, they're behind. I said, no, not our church. I said, you need to come and visit. You need to come visit our church. So he said, no, no, we're coming. We're coming to, to, he said, because Maureen's been telling us a lot about your church. And so, you know, you've taken your stand on the word of God and on certain principles that tell me so much about you. And so this morning, I need to tell you that I'm proud of you. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. And, you know, I've had the odd experience like this, but it seemed like Paul lived like that, that the Colossian church, even though he hadn't been to see them, this is what he says, for though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Somehow, by the Spirit, he was able to presence himself there and observe not only the church, but their lives in the Spirit, and if those of you understand the Holy Spirit will understand how this works. And he says, I see how you're standing firm in Christ and how disciplined you are. The word disciplined is very close to disciple. And if you're a discipled person, you're a disciplined person. And you've stood, taken your stand on the Word of God. And so in 2 Corinthians 16, short, sharp, powerful. Be on your God. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. That's a reflection of you. Amen. So all I'm doing is saying, well done, everybody. Well done, well done, well done. Okay? So um, I just wanted to touch on a couple of things in the next few minutes. And that is, number one, signs of being filled with God's Word, with God's Spirit, is number one, that you firmly take your stand on God's Word. It's interesting that Psalm 119, verse 35, and that whole psalm is using the alphabet, you know, Aleph. Bet Nun, the Hebrew alphabet, and that entire psalm, Psalm 119, is about the Word of God, about His precepts, about His principles, about His statutes, about His commands. And one of the things that David says is, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. It's very interesting. 
we're probably the only people group on the world that likes commands. We live in a country that does not like commands, does not like rules or legislation. Somehow they see it as, if it's a rule, let's break it. The most basic of rules, like a stop street and a robot, nobody obeys. I mean, what about higher principles, higher commands? There is absolutely no delight in statutes, in commands, in law. But David says this. He says, I find delight in your law. You know, we're the only people that go like, okay, God, tell us what we take delight in what you say. Because we've discovered that at the end of a command, at the end of an instruction of God, is life. It's for our own good. The only reason why God says, do this or don't do that is because at the end of the do's, there's life and blessing. At the end of don'ts is an accident. Amen? And there's destruction. And so we take delight in His Word. And so my encouragement to you this morning goes with the praise is that always, let's always take a firm stand on the Word of God. So the thing that I felt that came across in so many of you when I spoke to you, I don't think there was one person, there wasn't one person, that was bemoaning or bewailing their plight. The, every single person was, but God, but we trust God. God is going to bring us through. And it made me immensely proud. And it shows me, and it's something that we need to continually do. In standing on God's word, there's something that you've got to do. And the first thing is that you've got to take a firm grip on your own heart. You need to take your heart in hand, basically, and say, I will not allow any negative emotion to operate in there, because biblically it's also reflective of the mind. And take a firm grip of your heart and basically say what David said, my soul, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. And so to stand on God's word, you have to get a grip. You need to be disciplined to stand firm. And you need to discipline your emotions. So you need to take your heart and say, we're not going down that route of negativity. We're not going down the route of fear. No, no, no. We're going to establish ourselves on God's word. It's also taking your eyes and your ears in hand and saying, I'll be careful what I look at and I'll be careful what I listen to. Because listen, there's been a lot of voices during the COVID thing. There's been, I mean, there's been plenty sermons, you know. When the vaccine comes, it's the mark of the beast and it's going to alter your genetic makeup, your DNA, and you physically will not be able to get saved. You know, all this nonsense. So there's been some bad news stuff going out there and amongst other, you know, and we're not going to recover and all of this kind of thing and, and, and everything like that. Jesus himself said, take heed unto what you listen, unto what you hear. And so it's getting a firm grip and then fixing our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12. And so you can have a mental, emotional picture of Jesus that's built up through scriptures. And you can, when you go through hard times, say, well, how did Jesus do it? Well, this is what he did. And that's what Hebrews 2 is all about, as well as Hebrews 12. You know, consider Jesus, looking unto Jesus. But further than that, what you need to do is go to his word and say, okay, what did he say? What is his word? Because there's a scripture for every circumstance. There's a verse for every situation. There's a text for every condition that you face. There's something in God's word, and we need to fix ourselves there. Psalm 119, especially from verses 32 to verse 40, is your homework because I, I don't have time to read it. But it's being able to take your stand in the word. 
It's interesting that in this particular psalm and in those particular verses, you can hear that David struggled, but he continually said things like, I turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. I turn my eyes away from worthless things. The Message Bible says, I divert my eyes from toys and trinkets, and I put my eyes onto your word. Isn't it amazing? I like what one person said. The definition of an oak tree is this. It's a nut that never gave up any ground. So I'm looking at a bunch of nuts this morning who've become oak trees because you didn't give up any ground. Amen. Come on, that nut just stood its ground and now it's a mighty oak. And Isaiah 61 says that you are oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. You've stood upon the word of God. And so the reality of it has come across. You know, you've resisted the drift. You know, that old brother, that old man was going like, will you have a church <laughs> afterwards? He thought everybody was going to, you know, go slip slide in a way. <laughs> Who was it that said, sang that song? Simon Garfunkel, slip slide and away. So we're not going to slip slide and away. Resisted the drift. You've taken your stand on the word of God. And so there's so many scriptures that we can look at. It's interesting that God's laws are all good. And that's why the psalmist keeps saying, teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees that I will keep them to the end. Different context, but Jesus said, he who perseveres to the end shall be saved. You know, it's not those who dabble at believing the word. It's those that persistently, consistently adhere to the word that find the final result. It's not just a verse, those who quote a verse every now and then when you're troubled. But if you've built your life and established your life on that word, it's a principle and then it becomes a stronghold. It's the very same, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. And if I've built my life upon the word, it's the rock on sandy soil. When the storms come, it beats against the house and the house does not fall. And so we have a foundation. The breaking of bread and prayer. I said it already. The reality of Jesus. The giving. You know, um, very often, so much is measured in your giving. And, and that's why so many churches make such a point about it. It's not only about the finances because it speaks volumes about your heart. Every pastor will tell you that a person's bank account is the last thing that gets saved. But it's the first thing that gets unsaved. You know, it's the last thing to come into church. A person's wallet is the last thing to come to church, but it's the first thing to leave. They will sit in church long after they've stopped giving because they're offended with you. So finances speaks a lot. But I, I want to say the only reason why that ACF's finances dipped was because there were several families of those that are regular tithers where their salaries were, you know, much reduced. But then there were families that I just did not expect who would WhatsApp me continuously and say, how's the finances? Pastor John, are you getting a salary? There were others that, many others that um, blessed Bev and myself personally to make sure that we were taken care of. We were able to bless others. But one family just regularly phoned in, have you got money? Is enough money? You know, just tell me. You just let me know. One stage, and I, I was overwhelmed. I was shocked. I did not think that this family had that money, but they put 20000 in to ensure that we had enough money for salaries, you know, for all the staff, and made sure that we had money to distribute to those that needed help. It's just phenomenal. The giving in the church just um, blessed me. So it speaks volumes about you. Okay, so you don't have to say another word. Your life is telling me everything. <laughs> so come on, give yourself a big hand. Amen. So 
the giving has just been amazing, how it continued. You know that um, other churches were asking me, how's it going? We said, no, it's going really well. How's it going? No, no, you know, big, big dip in the finances. And, uh, but as I said, the finances dipped, but then the individuals that made it up kept it as the same as normal. And we were able to go right the way through. For example, Jerry, who is such a faithful caretaker, looks after the grounds, paints the buildings, and then he's here on Sunday to look after the parking. There was no services, but what we did was we still gave him the money for Sundays as if he had looked after the church. And so nobody suffered loss. And, and what a blessing, and that's a testament to your giving. So the Lord bless you. It speaks well of you. The, the fourth thing was the positivity. And uh, it's very interesting that Paul tells us that because of the gospel, we made a good confession. And that confession was a confession in Jesus as King, Lord of our lives. And he talks about holding your good confession. Now, in its context, he's talking about keeping your confession of salvation. Keep confessing Jesus Christ is your Lord. Amen? But then he talks about the fact that when Jesus was in front of Pontius Pilate, he made a good confession. One of the marks of the early church, reading through the book of Acts during this time, I was struck by the fact they lived in a world that was a lot tougher than ours. They lived under oppressive Roman rule where the Caesars put themselves up as gods and the greeting amongst the Romans, and it was expected of every colony that they would greet one another with Caesar is Lord. And, uh, of course, the disciples would not greet like that. They would say, Jesus is Lord. In fact, part of the downfall of AD 70, the temple, is I think it was Emperor Domitian put up a statue of himself in the Holy of Holies, right in the temple. And that was part of the whole thing that made up the abomination that causes desolation. And they were expected to revere the Caesars as God. And of course, because they wouldn't, tremendous persecution came on them. So life was tough for them. But you never heard them grumbling and complaining. Their language was always positive because their view of the world was different to ours. Somehow, Christians still fix their eyes on a political party that's in power, and we're looking to them as a hope. God is not into a country, not even with a Christian parliament. God is in a kingdom where he's king. Because even in Christian nations, there's corruption. Because of people's greed and selfishness and lust for power and all of these kinds of things. I mean, history is full of it. It's only when we start to understand the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that our worldview changes and then our whole approach to life will change with it. I mean, we get disappointed when we hear of the corruption that happens in South Africa. Why are we disappointed? You know, we should not be surprised. They're not holy. Only Jesus is holy. Amen? Every country in the world, there's these kind of things going on. And so somehow, you know, we need to take our savior complex off of our government, and we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the king and has a kingdom. And that will change, you know, the way that we look. And so it'll keep us positive. And of course, we do have a God who is for us and not against us. Because if God is for us, who can be? What can be against us? Now, I want to just end very quickly with this. Louis knows the story, and he was part of it. And very much what happened in the church in 1994 and then into 1995 also happened in his business. 
And uh, he lost his business in the process and was a great financial loss and, and whatever to his life. But the same forces at play through certain families were inside of this church and caused this great harm in this church. And for me, when this thing happened, I took it as a sign of what I'm going to close with and share with you now. So just bear with me the details as we just go through the last couple of minutes. In 1994, we had a couple in this church that came to this church. They came in, they had many church backgrounds, they used to be in full-time ministry, and wherever they went, they caused mess-ups and division and smashed up churches. When I discovered which church they had come from here in Boxburg, I phoned that pastor. The pastor said to me, brother, I would not touch that couple with a 10-foot barge pole. That's what he said to me. I went and prayed, and the Lord said to me, you his last best chance for restoration. So I really prayed. I really did pray. I heard from God. And, and so I started to spend a lot of time with Eventually, they came into leadership. I prophesied over his wife. His wife absolutely took off. She was leading our children's church. She was a worship leader. She was the intercessory leader. She absolutely took off. In the process of her taking off, her husband had never experienced his wife on fire, and he could not provide correct spiritual leadership. And all the cracks began to appear in his relationship. The end of the story was that he left her, had an affair, and uh, basically left the church. And um, we were obviously looking after her. I then had to ask her, because it was coming across in the praise and worship, please, just for a couple of months, stand down out of the praise and worship. Let Pastor Helen lead the praise and worship, because it's coming over. You're hurting. She took it as a punishment, and she lost the plot with me. Until one day, I mean, she was challenging me so much, and I was trying to explain to her, it's not a punishment, it's a healing time. We were standing right about here, it was a very different looking church there, the piano was there, and I actually drew a line on the carpet with my shoe. And I said to her, my sister, I said, there's the line, I said, if you put one toe over it, now I'm going to have to discipline you. She looked at me, the rage, I cannot explain the rage, came up. She marched out here when the side doors were there. She slammed that door so hard it cracked the plaster. When it got her stuff from the office, got in the car and took off. And then from that day, hated me with a passion. They turned families against me. They broke the church, got families out of the church, you know. And um, just unspeakable hatred that she had for me. I did her son's wedding just after that. It was the worst wedding under the sun. But their children's lives are destroyed, you know. Her husband had an affair. I found out where they were living with this other lady. I went and knocked on the door. <laughs> when she opened the door, shock of shocks, here's the pastor. I said, please, can I come in? And he was sitting at the dinner table. I sat with him, pleaded with him to repent, to come back to the Lord, come back to his family, and come back to church. He said the most horrendous things to me. And um, so that's the background. That's the story. And then it went on from there. It snowballed, and, and um, it was a terrible time. We were sitting at the office doing the database follow-up. And it was terrible because we loved them so much. We'd brought them into leadership. I mean, we loved them. I mean, absolutely. We had, even Pastor Helen was saying yesterday, she said it was a, such a fun leadership. We really, really had fun. We did all the outreaches, the missions. We did, uh, it was an unbelievable time. And, and I was in the process of getting him reordained in the denomination that he was out of. And he was almost reordained back into ministry when it all smashed. And then the other day, an email comes in. J.D. says, reads out the name. He says, there's an email from, and I said, ha ha, you're joking. No ways. And the incredible, incredible thing happened without justification, without 
excusing themselves, send me a long email asking me for forgiveness, repenting for everything they did. I sent a long email in return pointing out exactly what they did, but at the same time being gracious and um, messaged back. Just an incredible reconciliation. I phoned Louis the other day, and I was just telling him about it because he was part of it as well. It, you know, that process where it went on affected him. I mean, I was struggling to speak. I was so emotional. She then said, my husband would like to phone you. And he phoned me, and we just wept and wept and cried on the phone. And he just said, I've got to do this. And he asked me for forgiveness for one thing after the other. And at the end of the day, he said, you know what's the saddest thing? He said, we've wasted 27 years because of an offense. 27. We drifted away from God. And you know what? They're getting back involved in the church. And the pastors approached them and asked them to get back involved in ministry. And then the Lord gave them. They said, God, 27 years. He cried. He cried like a baby. I was sobbing. Bev was standing next to me. Bev had to actually cover her her face with her hands. She was sobbing so loudly. And she said, God gave us Joel chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He said, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. She said, I don't know how. How will he restore 27 years? But I'm taking him at his word. So in closing, I took that as a sign of what is coming, and Helen confirmed it, of economies, of churches, of revival, of your personal economy, whether it's just been emotional or whether it's been emotional and financial, whether it's been emotional, financial, or physical, God is a God of restoration. And I just love these verses. Jeremiah 30, 17 to 20, I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you were called an outcast, Zion for whom no one cares. Isn't it interesting that of all the groups of people around, I'm talking worldwide, and it took a president that is not popular in America, President Trump, to say, I want churches back open. And that started the ball rolling. And so you've got to understand the ancient serpent is the great red dragon because he's penetrated political systems. Amen. And so the church is so disregarded. Ah, you know, you can go unlock in level one because nobody in any government sees any value in spiritual things. And so energized by Satan. But this is what God said. Zion for whom no one cares. This is what the Lord says. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents. That's the church. And have compassion on his dwelling. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins. And the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers. They will not be decreased. I will bring them honor. And they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old, and their community will be established before me. And I will punish those who oppress them. Listen, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is Jesus' wife. That's why I fear for all these false apostles, prophets, whatever, because they are raping the wife of Jesus. And certainly he is a jealous husband. Amen? And so he is jealous of us. And that's why I handle you with the utmost care because you're not my bride, you're his bride, and I need to be a careful caretaker of the wife of Jesus. He restores my soul, Psalm 23. But lastly, I'm not going to read all of them because of time. Zechariah 9:12. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? A word. You're a prisoner of hope. 
Hope has enslaved you. You can't but have hope. It reminds me of evangelist Reynold Bonker who had once said, he said, I'm condemned to victory. Come on, you're a prisoner of hope. And he says, and I will restore you twice as much. There's Louis sitting here. And I think the first time they came to the church, uh, Louis had lost the business. And we prophesied the turning of the tide. And I remember when the tide turned and Louis started in business. And then the incidents that I've just shared with you, you know, these families smashed up the business and he lost again everything the second time. And I remember myself, Etrat, and there were others that prophesied restoration plus, 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 restoration plus. And you can hear his testimony, how God has restored him right down to the finest, the last detail in a shorter space of time. I tell you, those verses are in the Bible because God is a God of restoration. Amen. And how is he going to do it? I don't understand. I don't know how God will do it. But that I leave up to him. The mechanics of it I leave up to him. My part is just to trust him. And to say, yes, Lord, I agree. And so I want to declare, not only of you, every person in ACF, we've got people that were in the airline industry, you know, who've had no income for the last few months. Praise God, it's starting to open. But not even they complain. You know, the one couple, he's a pilot, and, and it was just no income. And I said, look, what are you doing? Just let me know. He said, Pastor John, we're okay. He said, we're baking pies and selling pies, and we're doing this, and we're doing this. We'll be all right. And uh, just that, you know, just made me immensely proud of the people of God. You've taken your stand on the word. You're disciplined. And uh, you nuts have not given up any ground. You resisted the slide. You know, you took a hold on your heart. And I want to tell you, it's those kind of people. It's you kind of people that God restores. You hang on to God. Sometimes it's just barely by your fingertips you're holding on to God. Everything's dark. The only thing that you've got to hold on to is Him, His Word, His promises. And tenaciously you've clung onto God. And then He comes through and He says, hey, He has restoration. I want to tell you, it's not going to be very long when the whole COVID period will be a faint, vague, distant memory. And we'll think, oh my goodness, did we go through something like that? Oh, wow. You know? And we'll discover Romans 8, 28. God is able to work everything out to good to them that love Him and are called according to His good purposes. I want you to just raise your hands. And uh, on behalf of even those that are not able to attend services yet, but I want you just to raise your hands. I want to speak blessing over you and restoration over you. I want to declare that every scripture, and I've got these plenty scriptures on restoration, I declare that if in any way you've lost any ground, even financially, that God will restore, God will make it up. If you've lost any ground as far as initiative or, you know, as far as opportunity is concerned, there were people who were going to start businesses, do all sorts of things, and it was massively delayed. Maybe the momentum is gone. Maybe the, you've lost a little bit of the initiative that you had. But I want to just declare that God will restore the momentum, restore the initiative, reestablish the contacts in the name of Jesus, and that every bit of finances that you lost will be more than made up in the name of the Lord Jesus. God will restore your fortunes twice as much, he says. I speak that over you as a blessing. And now, may God be gracious to you. May God turn his face towards you and show you favor. May his delight be upon you.
May you have the favor of all of those that are around you. May God cause you to increase and prosper and be in health even as your soul is prospering. May even if it affected you emotionally, that that would be healed. If it affected you physically, may that be healed. And where you've sown and where you've stood and where you've taken your ground, may God bring you the reward of that in not many days from now in the name of Jesus. And we all agreed and said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.